This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Courageous Legacy, the new movie from Sherwood Pictures, Affirm Films, Provident Films, and the Kendrick Brothers. Remastered in 4K and including a new ending, Courageous Legacy, rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In theaters now. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for being with us again. Well, back in 1993, Alabama banned the teaching of yoga in the public schools, with lawmakers calling it a Hindu philosophy and method of religious training. But nearly 28 years later, the state reversed course with a new law allowing yoga back into the public schools, but they decided to ban practices like chanting and mantras and guided imagery. Well, as my next guest says, there are some very great concerns to be had about this reversal and for good reason. Mike Shreve is a former yoga teacher who is now a Christian and he is involved in trying to reinstate the ban on yoga in the Alabama public schools saying you cannot separate yoga from its connection to Hinduism. So joining us now is evangelist, pastor, author, and publisher Mike Shreve from Shreve Ministries. So good to have you here, Mike. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing wonderful, and thank you very much for the invitation to be on your program. Well, it's wonderful to talk to you again. I apologize for my voice, just kind of recovering from laryngitis. So bear with me here. I'll let you do most of the talking. But I know we talked a few years back about your testimony. You were a yogi, and you taught uh, Hatha Yoga, I believe it was, for years. And, And you came out of it. You came to the Lord. Tell people a little bit about your background with yoga. Well, actually, it was a group called Kundalini Yoga, which is a much more intense practice than Hatha Yoga. Ah, okay. And uh, let me back up about 50 years, a little over 50 years, and tell you how I got involved in that. Back in 1969, I was a high school graduate. I was attending Florida State University in Tallahassee, Florida. And during that time, I was a rock musician also. And I had a very uh, terrifying near-death experience in, in that year that shook me up and put me on a search for God. And so I became so passionate about it, I decided to just drop out of college, which I don't necessarily advocate people do, and search for God full-time by studying under an Indian guru. It was very trendy. It was very much of a a focus in our society and our culture then to explore Eastern religions. So I devoted myself to it entirely. I was spending 14 hours a day in solitude every day, living in a yoga ashram. And I uh, got to the point where I was also teaching it at four universities in Florida and running Uh, independently running a yoga ashram in the Tampa, Florida area with about 300 students following my teaching. So I was as deeply embedded in it as a person can be. And then uh, God set me up and uh, caused a series of events to open my eyes to the reality of Jesus. Uh, First off, I got a letter from an old friend of mine telling me he'd been born again which triggered some curiosity in me because he was studying under a guru also. And then I just decided to start reading the Bible uh, 
just to see what Jesus had to say, and I started uh, a little bit that direction. Then the Tampa Tribune newspaper did a half-page article about me that I thought would increase my yoga classes dramatically into the thousands. And instead, it alerted a local prayer group to start praying for me on a continuing basis. (laughs) And they pinned the article to their prayer board, assigned someone to be fasting and praying for me every hour of every day. It was a 24-hour prayer chain. And within three weeks, I came into the kingdom of God. And the way it happened was absolutely a divine intervention. It was divinely orchestrated. One day I was on my way to teach a yoga class, and that day I decided to dedicate the day to Jesus, asking him if my friend was right and if he was the only way to heaven, that he would give me a sign that day. Well, two miles away, one of the members of the prayer group was walking in a laundromat with an armful of dirty clothes, and God spoke to him to get back in his vehicle and start driving, that he had a job for him to do. That's all the instructions God gave. So he started driving and turned whenever he felt an impulse and drove right down the street where I stepped out hitchhiking within about the same framework of time. And and uh, he pulled over. I opened the door to his van And my heart jumped inside because I was standing there praying, Jesus, if you're truly the Savior of the world, give me a sign today. Manifest yourself somehow. I opened the door to the van and looked in, and there was a picture of Jesus on the ceiling of the van. I knew this was my sign. And the man happened to be, of course, it was not a coincidence, but he happened to be a former student of yoga himself. So he understood how to communicate the difference between the Eastern worldview and the Christian worldview. Within 15 minutes, I was on my knees and prayed and received Jesus as Lord and Savior. I was born again. I immediately uh, closed down all my classes. I witnessed to all of them. Most of my students became Christians. I shut down the yoga ashram, and I've been traveling for 50 years as an evangelist, and I also run a Christian publishing company called Deeper Revelation Books. So uh, my life was dramatically changed, Janet, just in a few moments' time. Well, that is an incredible testimony. And so you have the background necessary to look at what Alabama is doing and see it in a very, I would say, wise way and an understanding way because you've been on both sides of the fence. What do you make of the fact that Alabama reversed this ban? It just seems bizarre. Why do the kids in the public schools need yoga? That doesn't even make any sense. Well, uh, uh, first let me say that this is a battle I did not seek, but it's a battle that sought me. Uh, The son of a former governor of Alabama, his name was Bob James, and his son is Tim James, was very upset. He's a very committed Christian. He was disturbed that the ban had been lifted. And he was praying one night that God would show him who could help him in this battle. And he happened to be on a business uh, trip for his particular business, and he was in Shreveport, Louisiana. He turned on his computer and did a Google search, uh, praying that God would lead him to someone who could help him. 
and my name was the first name that came up, uh, and I believe it was tied to our website. We've got a comparative religion website, thetruelight.net, where my story is uh, downloadable. And he felt that was a sign from God that uh, my name, of course, being Mike Shreve, and he was in Shreveport, Louisiana. So he contacted me, and we've become friends since then. And uh, I united with him uh, in this battle. Now, you asked why they would do this. One of the legislators in Alabama named Jeremy Gray is uh, a yoga teacher himself, Mm. and he introduced the bill, (sighs) which since that time, uh, now many of the legislators have realized was a mistake (sighs) because uh, they thought that they were making it safe for the children to be involved, but they did not know the details. And we have sent an information packet that shows without a doubt uh, that yoga is inseparable from Hinduism. And some of the legislators have already told us when they come back into session this January, they intend to work toward reversing that decision and reinstating the ban. Uh, But it was because the legislator who introduced the bill had a vested interest in it. He uh, has a business and is a yoga teacher himself, a business that is geared toward introducing yoga to people. And so it would have been beneficial to him in the beginning. Uh, that is this crazy. Yeah, that, what a conflict of interest. And, and, and you look at how this went through and people didn't do their due diligence to know in advance what was going on. It's outrageous. Well, we're going to come back with Mike Shreve. And I want to get into this opt-out clause and the reasons why it won't protect the children of Alabama. We're going to come back right after this. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. Aria lives in the Middle East in a radical Muslim family. She accepted the invitation of a Christian friend to attend a weekly Bible study and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. She took her Bible study booklet home, hiding it in her room before her mother found it and gave it to her father. He severely beat young Aria and called the authorities to report her as an infidel. They took her to a remote cell where they assaulted her and the Christian friend before letting them go. These two women didn't grow bitter. They grew bold and together they've seen hundreds come to Christ in the Middle East, where Christians are urged to support new believers. You suddenly realize how critical it is for Christians not just to assume God will look after their brothers and sisters who have converted from Islam, but that they will be prepared to walk with them. Help send God's word to believers like Aria. One Bible is only $5, and a limited time match will double your gift. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YESWORD, or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? 
Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. This hour of Janet Mefford today is brought to you in part by Courageous Legacy, the new film from Sherwood Pictures, a firm films, Provident Films, and the Kendrick Brothers, remastered in 4K and including a new ending, Courageous Legacy, rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13, now playing. Well, Mike Shreve is my guest. He's a former yoga teacher and now born again by the Spirit of God and a believer in Jesus Christ. And you can find his work over at thetruelight.net and shreveministries.org. And there has been this switch in Alabama where lawmakers long had banned yoga in the public schools and then they reversed this ban. And, you know, it's interesting, Mike, when I'm looking at what the law says, it says all instruction in yoga shall be limited exclusively to poses, exercises and stretching techniques. So they're banning things like chanting and mantras and saying namaste and all the stuff that is a little bit more more overtly offensive to some people who don't really understand what the Hindu connections are here to yoga. But what do you make of this that they're trying to say, hey, this is just basically exercise. What do you what do you say to people who believe yoga is just exercise? There's nothing to worry about here. Well, first of all, uh, I'd like to say that the the particular bill that was passed has an opt out clause and it would have been much better, but still not acceptable to me, nor to a lot of other people, if it had been an opt-in clause. That means all the kids will be participating unless they opt out of the classes. Now, one problem with that, or several problems with that, would be number one, you know how peer pressure is with kids, with uh, kindergartners all the way up to 12th grade are going to be exposed to this, and most kids will not want to opt out even if they're Christian children, because that immediately gets them uh, negative attention from their classmates, from their peers. So they would feel the pressure to go ahead and cave and participate. And unfortunately, number two, a lot of parents don't understand the connection between Hinduism and yoga, even in the basic Hatha yoga positions. And I think this was more the direction you want me to go with your question, uh, because I have a booklet. Actually, I would uh, be glad to email the booklet in a digital form to anyone who wants it. They can just go to the truelight.net and request it, and I'll send the whole form that I sent every congressman, every representative, every senator in Alabama, and we've already gotten some feedback where uh, people have uh, said, yes, we realize now we made a huge mistake and we're going to work toward reversing it. But um, just to give you a little quick overview, in that booklet that I mailed uh, to the leaders 
of the House and the Senate in a physical format and then emailed it to everyone else, I show how even the basic positions of yoga are dedicated as acts of worship or offerings of worship to various Hindu gods. Now, I know most people would not recognize the names of these poses, but for instance, the warrior two pose is a basic yoga posture, but it's dedicated to a Hindu god named Ganesha. (laughs) And the dancer pose is dedicated to Shiva, which is the god of destruction in Hinduism. And in fact, uh, Shiva is referred to as the Lord of Yoga. Mm. And the very word yoga, incidentally, comes from a Sanskrit word that means yoke. And the implication is you are yoked with God. But the God you yoke with in Hinduism is not the God of the Bible. And the vast majority of parents whose children would be exposed to this hold a Christian worldview. The God that yoga is supposed to yoke you with is called Brahman. And Brahman is an impersonal life force, a cosmic level of consciousness that you do not pray to because they believe in pantheism, which is the idea that the universe is a manifestation of God, therefore everything has a divine essence. They believe that the life essence of God is in everything, like the trees, the cats, the dogs, the flowers, etc. And that when you do yoga, you are yoking yourself with this that they envision to be ultimate reality, or the actual God of the universe, which is impersonal. That is not the God of the Bible, who is a very personal God. So much so, he's referred to as our Heavenly Father, and the true God is not a force flowing through the universe, but the true God is comprised of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one God. You only find that in Christianity. No other worldview reveals that. But uh, just to cover a few more, the splits pose, which is a basic yoga pose, is dedicated to Hanuman, which is the monkey god. And one that almost always accompanies a yoga session is called the sun salutation. (laughs) It's a series of 12 poses that you start off with in the morning, And it honors a god named Surya, who is the sun god, S-U-N, not S-O-N, the sun god. And uh, I could go on and on and on. Almost every pose is dedicated to an individual deity. And I think, uh, Janet, that one of the bigger problems is this, that most of the staff in your schools, your grade schools, mid schools, high schools, are not going to be qualified to teach yoga. And so they're going to reach into their communities in order to hire someone who is knowledgeable and certified in that area. But in order to be a certified yoga teacher, normally you have to go through a group called Yoga Alliance. And Yoga Alliance has a certain program, 200-hour program or uh, maybe even more than that, for people to receive certification. And those hours of study include studying the chanting of mantras, 
studying something they call the chakras, which are supposed to be energy centers in the body, studying kundalini power, which is the power uh, that, uh, that is supposedly unleashed when you do yoga. And the word kundalini means serpent power. That should be a red flag. And so anyone in a community that is enlisted to teach the children yoga most likely will embrace a Far Eastern worldview sure, and believe in these mystical approaches to entering the realm of the supernatural. And they, by virtue of building relationships with the children, will then have an influence over them. And I'm sure some of them would end up visiting and participating in yoga classes that go much deeper into the experience uh, as they grow in curiosity. And, and they'll be reading stuff online. They're exposed to yoga, so they want to know more about it. They'll be going to websites and get introduced to the supernatural element behind yoga much more. So I am very, very concerned that almost a million students in Alabama are going to go through what I would term Hinduism 101, because they're going to get the basics of Hinduism. Yoga is comprised, basic yoga is comprised of asanas, which are physical exercises, and pranayama, which are breathing exercises. And those are steps three and four of an eight-step process that is supposed to lead you to, quote-unquote, God consciousness. And the Hindus refer to it as samadhi. But again, it's not the true God. It's a false and deceptive supernatural experience. Well, and the irony is, if anybody were to try to introduce something into the public schools that smacked of Christianity, how long do you think that would last? There's no way. And yet, here you have something that is flat out connected to the Hindu religion in, in all the ways you've described. And all these parents probably argument out of the water just with your own knowledge of yoga. Where do you think this is headed, Mike? Do you have hope working together with Tim James to get this reversed? What are you hearing from lawmakers or where does that all stand right now? I have some very dear friends who took this to court in California. And they lost because the judge who tried the case was a yoga advocate himself. I recall that. To use your phrase, what a conflict of interest. He should have recused himself from the case. But uh, I've been in communication with them, and some of them are willing to help us in this. It is much more possible. It's, It's probable, really, that what lost in California could win in Alabama because it is a strongly conservative state, and uh, uh, they would be much more minded towards seeing the arguments that we've presented. And so my hope is that we will win in Alabama, and then it will have a domino effect where we can go nationwide with it and state by state implement the same process to hopefully have yoga removed from the curriculum, because uh, I I don't know who is funding all of this in Alabama, but I know the group that funded it in California had uh, an approach that was very deceptive, because in order to receive their 501c3, 
nonprofit status, they themselves as a religious organization. Mm. But in order to infiltrate the schools, they presented themselves as a non-religious organization. Mike, this is such, yeah, we're out of time, but you're so right about that. What happened in California is not necessarily going to happen in Alabama, and we will be praying for you. Mike Shreve, God bless you. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Well, thank you for allowing me to share. And like I said, I'll send further information to anyone who contacts us on thetruelight.net. Terrific. Thank you again, Mike, for being with us. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by The Jesus Music, the new documentary from Lionsgate and the creators of I Can Only Imagine, featuring interviews with many artists from contemporary Christian music. The Jesus Music, only in theaters. More information is available at thejesusmusic.movie. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back to Janet Mefford today. There are a lot of voices out there telling us we need to be a bigger deal. Sometimes, even in Christian circles, you achieve big things for God. You make sure you have a huge number of social media followers. You brand yourself. But even for those of us who don't want to be famous, but just want to live an extraordinary life for Jesus Christ right where we are, sometimes cling to this false notion of overnight success. And in fact, as my next guest says, truly great lives are actually built on a foundation of a holy redundancy. I love that phrase. So we're going to talk about this today with Jeff Mannion, senior pastor of Ada Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and author of the book we'll be discussing called Dream Big, Think Small. So good to have you here, Jeff. Welcome. Janet, what a joy to be with you today. Yeah, thank you. Well, you've been a pastor for a long time, and I'm wondering how often this subject comes up, people coming to you and saying, Pastor, I really want to be a big deal, and yet not understanding what being a big deal really ought to be. You know, and I find, I find the opposite true uh, as well. People are living faithful lives so quietly, and they feel, they feel insignificant. Yeah. They feel like what they're doing isn't, isn't mattering. It's, it's not making a difference. And uh, my take on this, Janet, is just faithfulness is underrated. And uh, many people are waiting for that breakthrough, that moment where they're going to be discovered, when, you know, they'll discover their unique contribution to the world. And during this time, there are all of these opportunities to be faithfully good that go marching by that unfortunately are uncelebrated. Yeah, that's so true. Why do you think it is that a lot of us are wired to think that life has to be a big deal in the first place? I mean, why aren't we satisfied with just being faithful to Christ where we are? I I think that we're um, addicted to immediacy. Um, I don't know whether the YouTube you know, generation and YouTube sensation where someone posts a video that goes viral and someone is propelled to uh, popularity, you know, makes it even harder, you know, these days to be patient with a long process. But so many, so many of the characters in the Bible were simply faithful over a lifetime. And Janet, I I think that particularly uh, my younger leaders at church and younger friends just they overestimate what can be done in a really short period of time, and they underestimate the value of a lifetime of bringing themselves day after day after day, 
often to the same people and often to the very same tasks. And often that's the way an extraordinary life is built, by people who show up time after time after time after time. That's very true. That's very true. So you talk in the book about the case for steady movement. And I think this is such an important thing for all of us to get our heads around because it really is the case that the Christian life is steady faithfulness. That's We're trying to get to the end goal, right? We're trying to finish the marathon and, and yeah. f- finish the race faithfully. And that's the goal. What about steady movement? How do you explain this to people about having a life of steady faithfulness? Well, I, I start with something jarring. I say, uh, reading the Bible tomorrow probably won't help you. <laughs> if you just say that and pause for a second, it takes people off guard. But I follow it up with, because doing anything for one day probably won't help you that much. Yeah. Uh, dieting for one day, uh, working out, you know, exercising for one day, uh, setting aside part of one paycheck to put into savings, you know, one time. But it's, it's the non-spectacular, uh, the person that spends less than they make on a financial level, and they save a little bit every single paycheck or every single month, that person is miles ahead 10 years down the road than just someone who spends a little bit more than they're making every single paycheck or every single month. And so one of the reasons this is hard for us to grasp is because you just don't see the results day after day after day. It takes a long time to be able to appreciate the value of how plugging away has added up to something. And this is not only, not only true of you know, the, you know, uh, financial health with saving and with giving. It's, I think it's true for spiritual health as well. I mean, the, the person that wakes up in the morning and they say, I'm going to read a chapter of the Bible a day. <laughs> I know I can read a chapter even if I have a cold, even if I have company, yep. even if I have to take a trip. I can read a chapter at the, you know, at the gate waiting for a plane. And, you know, it's like 1,189 chapters in the Bible. Someone dedicated to a chapter a day, Janet, they would read through the Bible about every three years. Yes. A 20-year-old that makes this a discipline, when they reach 30, they're closing out on their third time in reading the Bible cover to cover. But, but from day to day, it's like some days your bookmark doesn't even move. Right. You know, chapter four <laughs> begins on the left-hand side and ends on the right-hand side. And there's this massive, you know, book, the Bible with, you know, all these hundreds of pages. And I haven't even moved my bookmark. Yeah. And so it, it's really based on the slow and steady and the compounded value of what we do over a considerable period of time. Yeah, I got stuck in the begats and I gave up. So that's Oh my, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> the genealogies wrecked me. Right, exactly. Or first chronicles, I just couldn't move on yeah. through it, so I'm going to give up. Well, yeah. isn't it also appropriate when you're talking about where you're what you should be doing day to day study movement to talk about where you're going? I mean, when you talk to Christians about what the end goal is of the Christian life or even where they want to go with their own dreams or their hopes for their lives. What about the end goal? I mean, how much should that end goal be emphasized and how do you emphasize it? Yeah, hopefully the day-to-day movement should be leading us towards something. And a, a word, a word that I, I love to use is just the word health. Hmm. Will this practice lead me more toward spiritual health, relational health, emotional health, 
financial health. And there are a lot of things that, uh, that move us slowly, almost imperceptibly toward health that simply, simply aren't that interesting. Right. You know, I, I think of the family, the family with, uh, and we, we have three children. They're grown now, and now we've just moved into the zone where we have uh, three little grandchildren. Uh-huh. But when the kids were grade school age, you know, if someone said to us, you know, describe a Monday. You go, oh, okay, Monday morning, we get them up, we get them dressed, we get them fed, we get them off, you go to school. Right. Oh, wonderful. Describe Tuesday. It, it, it's the same thing. Yeah, you know, same thing. You get thing. them up, you get them, get them dressed, you get them fed, you get them off. And there's an the evening ritual as well that would include dinner, maybe reading them before they go to, go to bed, tucking them in. And it's, it's sameness. What you mentioned, you know, the holy redundancy. You do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again. Your hope, as far as a goal is concerned, is that a child would be able to look back and say, I'm so thankful for the stable home uh, in which I was raised. And even if they're not thankful for the stable home, you know that you instilled consistency and that there is a health that comes out of that sameness. And so what I encourage the discouraged parent parent with or the discouraged youth pastor or the discouraged volleyball coach when it seems like every day is the same <laughs> is just your redundancy could be bringing life to somebody else right. embrace the mundane master the mundane because often it's this consistent living that leaves the biggest legacy in the lives of other people oh for sure and, and i and, and i tell my younger friends too i say you know if everything has to be new and interesting all the time you'll probably miss out on your greatest opportunity for impact and influence Mm. if everything has to be new and interesting. Yeah, and I would imagine this is a temptation for pastors as well, because there's a lot of pressure on pastors, get a more dynamic church, get a bigger church, grow, 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 bigger budget, this kind of thing. I would imagine you talk to pastor friends from time to time who also feel that pressure. I got to do more, try harder, and yet... Those things are really in God's hands. The results of how your church grows, you can do so much, but even in our own lives, we can only do so much. God sometimes thwarts our plans and moves us in a different direction. Okay, part of our story. I've, I've pastored the same church for 33 years, awesome. which is increasingly rare. We started when we were 21-year-old newlyweds uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We never thought we would stay in Grand Rapids. We thought we'd move back to the mountain states. We had graduated from high school in Sacramento, California. And we just sensed that God wanted us here to work with this small church. Uh, Janet, our first weekend, we had between 20 and 25 people. It was a failed church plant. Mm -hmm. The church planter had moved on. And so we came in and just were asked to speak from from week to week. Janet, it took us seven years to see this group grow up to over 100 consistently. Wow. wow. Basically, our whole, our whole 20s was seeing, and it went from 25 up to 100, and then we had three false starts in a building program, slipped back down to 50 people, and then finally, after seven years, up to 100 consistently. Well, I'll tell you what, I want to hear more about this. We've got to run to a break. We'll come back with Pastor Jeff Mannion, his book, Dream Big, Think Small. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
From Sherwood Pictures, Affirm Films, Provident Films, and the Kendrick Brothers comes Courageous Legacy. Celebrating 10 years of impact on families and fathers, remastered in 4K, and including a new ending and bonus scenes. So where are you, men of courage? I believe every father should step up and answer the call and say, I will, I will. Courageous Legacy, rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now playing. More information is available at CourageousTheMovie.com. How much is one life worth? Most of us would say life is priceless, and we'd be right. After all, what is the value of someone created in the image of God? We're asking Janet Mefford today, listeners just like you, to help us save babies through the ministry of preborn. How does preborn save babies? Through ultrasounds. Preborn works with hundreds of pro life pregnancy centers across America, providing free ultrasounds for women in crisis pregnancies. And 80% of the time, when a mother sees her little baby on an ultrasound, she'll choose life. It's that easy. We need your help to support the vital work of preborn in saving human lives. For your gift of $28, you can provide a free ultrasound to a mom in a crisis pregnancy. And for a gift of $140, you can provide five ultrasounds to to five mothers. All you have to do is call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you for saving a baby's life. From Lionsgate and the creators of I Can Only Imagine comes a new documentary, The Jesus Music. Jesus Music found its way in my hometown and it changed my life. I saw contemporary Christian music born right before my very eyes. I think music is the most popular powerful universal language in the world. Featuring interviews with many artists from contemporary Christian music, including Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, Toby Mack, and Kirk Franklin. The Jesus Music, only in theaters beginning October 1st. More information is available at thejesusmusic.movie. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. Jeff Mannion joining us, senior pastor of Ada Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and author of the book we're discussing. It is called Dream Big, Think Small. And you were sharing your own story there, Jeff, about what it took to deal with your own church in your 20s and seven years to go from, what was it, 20 to 25 up to 100? I mean, that had to be frustrating at times because that's hard work when you're dealing with a small church and trying to minister in that setting. It was, and we were having our children during that during that time too. And as our you know children were born, first you know Sarah, then Andrew, then then Alex, and quick succession three under three. There was financial pressure as we were trying to get this church airborne and self sufficient and off the ground. And so when when I when I you know use the term think small, uh, what I'm talking about there is just this ability. Uh, the discipline, the tenacity, I guess, the endurance to bring yourself again and again and again when it's going really well and when it's not going well at all. And just to continue to serve people and love people and be faithfully present, whether or not you're in a season of dynamic growth. And those times can be really challenging, discouraging days. Well, I'm curious to ask, since you've been a pastor for such a long time at your church, what do you do when you hit those moments of temptation and frustration and probably at sometimes I just want to give up? I mean, everybody goes through that no matter what their job is at some point. What, what did you do in those particular moments to keep on going and to say, Lord, I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing? And this is, a, this is a challenging question because uh, not everyone is intended to be in the same location for a lifetime. Right. 
you know, not everyone is intended to be in the same, you know, church or ministry or school, university, hospital, you know, for three decades. Uh, in, in our situation, and I can only speak to our situation, we just, we had a sense that God would be pleased to do something very dynamic with this small group of faithful people, even though the evidence, you know, wasn't there that this was going to be a dynamic ministry for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, don't think, I don't think that that was uh, just, you know, you, you, utopian faith or wishful thinking. Janet, it was truly a sense that God wanted to do something, something special here. And it was seven years before we really began uh, to grow and to be able to have a dynamic uh, impact on our, our area. One, one thing that I would encourage, though, is I, w- I would discourage people from resigning when they're disappointed. Good. My dad, my dad is a preacher. He used to joke, never resign on a Monday. <laughs> but he's right. He's right. Sunday weekend services, you know, back in his day, adult Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, it's you're a lot. exhausted. Yep. And Monday morning, you're just depleted. I would just, you know, plead uh, with, with individuals, wait till a moment when you stabilize a little bit, where you seek some counsel, and where you can decide whether truly uh, it is time to move on. But I never quit when you're tired, the tank is empty, and just throw in the towel. You, often these moves we end up regretting later on in a more uh, rational and emotionally balanced moment. That's a really good piece of advice. Oh, well, and it also kind of ties into something else you discuss in the book, and that is refilling our empty spiritual tanks. And I, oh, yeah. I, I think for people in ministry, this is sometimes even harder because they're so type A and, and motivated by action. And it's very hard hard sometimes to stop and, and, you know, spend time in prayer and Bible study and refill your own spiritual tank. How, how do you advise people to do that and, and make sure that you are being fed too? Yeah, let me speak of two of the, two of the disciplines, which I, which I think are, are critical. And we just understand if, if we're in the business of pouring ourselves into people, as we pour ourselves into people, we are pouring ourselves out. Yeah. And so the question is, this tank will begin to run low. So what are we doing? What are, you know, what are you doing to refill an empty tank? And so if you love pouring yourself into people, become a master at serving people. Also become a master at what it means to refill an empty tank. And so, Janet, I believe, number one, there's daily disciplines where you invite God into your day where you examine the blessings that you have. I personally have a a gratitude exercise that I go through every single day where I write down three blessings for which I am grateful. Unique, not simply my clothes, my house, my car, (laughs) you know, my grandkids, my kids, my wife. But uh, the, the, the grilled cheese sandwich, you know, and tomato soup that I had for lunch, being able to wrestle with my three-year-old grandson, Preston, the night before, the fact that I have a reliable car that gets me to appointments, you know, three very specific things. And I've, I've done this for years. And I, I don't do it because <laughs> I didn't start it because I'm a gold standard for gratitude. <laughs> I started it because I was fearful of, of taking blessings for granted. <laughs> And I just didn't want to grow old and be entitled and ungrateful. That's good. And so I asked, how can I begin to, to train the channels of my heart to recognize the blessings that bombard my life every day and to focus on what I have 
rather than focusing on what I don't have, which is a spirit of complaint. And so first, I just think there's daily disciplines. Also, Chris and I, we're in the habit of unplugging every single Friday. I speak Saturday and Sunday. So Saturday and Sunday, they are not, you know, Sunday, the Lord's Day is not my day of rest. I I speak two (laughs) services and have more personal interaction than should be legally allowed. (laughs) And so Friday, Friday is a day where we wake up and ideally, and this works about half the time. Ideally, we go, there's nothing we have to do, and there's no place we have to go. We take long walks. We sit in coffee shops. We read. We journal. I don't know that I would still be in ministry today with the passion that I have for it hmm. if we didn't start that system, weekly system of unplugging one day a week That's years good. back. Yep. Yeah, because you, you need to recharge. You can't just be going, going, going. Even if you're an extreme extrovert, you can't be with people nonstop. No. No, we need moments. We need moments where we need to let God love on us apart from our production Hmm. and apart from our output. And meeting with God each day and setting hours aside of non-production, I think these are vital to keep a healthy heart and to refill an empty tank. Absolutely. And you've got some good stuff in the book about relationships and remembering you can't do it all. What about this idea, kind of returning to this holy redundancy that, that is part and parcel of the book? What about going back to goodness, as you say, grows slowly? And the long-term view on your sanctification and on, you know, if you have big dreams, moving toward those dreams, but remembering it might not be instantaneous. Yeah, the the chapter in the book, Goodness Grows Slow, uh, I use an example of a, a friend of mine. He was the director of a network of children's hospitals in under-resourced parts of the world where they offer children's surgeries and treat mothers and kids. And Janet, they had had uh, a shooting in their hospital in Kabul, Afghanistan, where three American doctors were killed. <laughs> and that, that made CNN news. What will never make CNN news is the fact that there had been 25 healthy babies born in that hospital. And so it, it, it's like gunmen kills American doctors. That makes the news. Afghan woman gives birth to healthy baby. It doesn't. Yes. And so it's like uh, evil, evil sticks. If there's a Columbine-type shooting in a community, if there's a massive tragedy, it sticks Goodness has a very short shelf life. Hmm. It has to be repeated over and over and over and over in order to have any lasting change. Yeah, that's right. And you don't always see the change that is going on in you. I mean, when you're, you talk about no. working out earlier, you might not see a change in a week. You may not even see a change in a few weeks. But maybe your husband or your wife says, hey, you dropped a couple pounds or you seem like you have more energy now. You don't always see the changes that are taking place as you're being disciplined. And if you do see the changes, often you see them, you see them later and you see them over time. Yes. I mean, the, the Apostle Paul wrote to uh, Christian communities in northern Turkey, a region called Galatia, and he said, do not grow weary in doing good. Love it. Okay, do not get yep. tired of them. <laughs> he said, for at the proper season, you will reap a harvest. And then he goes, if you do not give up. Yep. And that's farming imagery. I mean, yeah. I wish he had used any other metaphor than farming, <laughs> because you put seeds in the ground, and then you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And Janet, we never harvest in the same season that we plant. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And what a man sows, that also shall he reap. 
So a yeah. lot of farming in- imagery there. Yeah, and, and so much of it. I, I love the farming in- imagery insofar as it reminds us that change does come slowly. But if you don't plant those seeds and if you don't water and remember that God gives yep. the growth over time, that you can get discouraged in the short term. But really, you need to have a long-term view of your life and your big dreams and and really embrace that that wonderful thing that you talk about in the book, which is this uh, steady movement and this steady faithfulness and growing over time and I think that that is such an important message for everybody in the church to hear right now. Yeah. Well, Jeff Mannion's book, Dream Big, Think Small, Living an Extraordinary Life One Day at a Time. It's his book and it was so good to talk to you, Jeff. Thank you very, very much for being with us. Janet, so pleased to be on your program today. Thank you very much. God bless you. And thanks for listening to Janet Meffer today. As always, we can be found at JanetMeffer.com. We'll see you there. This hour of Janet Meffer today is brought to you in part by the new documentary, The Jesus Music, from Lionsgate and the creators of I Can Only Imagine, featuring interviews with many artists from contemporary Christian music. The Jesus Music, only in theaters beginning October 1st. More information is available at thejesusmusic.movie.